All right. I believe we pick up at Exodus 33. And I know before we start, I think um, I think we'll get to some chapters today that are probably a a quick breeze over because I think we're going to get quite a bit about vestments and table stands again. And we'll see how much of that we want to read into. But um, let's let's begin at chapter 33. So um, we ended with the golden calf story. Uh, God sees it first while Moses is on the mountain. God is upset and it will take vengeance. Moses changes God's mind. Moses goes down. Moses gets infuriated and uh, orders the slaying of, of many in the camp. Uh, and then it concludes with God sending an unnamed and sort of unelaborated upon plague. Chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, Go, leave this place you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, and go to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, or I would consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." When the people heard these harsh words, they mourned, and no one put on ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do to you. Therefore the Israelites stripped themselves of their ornaments, from Mount Horeb onward. I think I hear one more coming our way, so we'll pause for a second. Um, Morning. Morning. Come on in. Hi. So we just we just restarted our reading at uh, chapter 33 of Exodus. All right. So they have been wandering, although they have been wandering, and um, Moses goes up on the mountain, and we just at the end of last week ended with the. Uh, the golden calf. Okay. Um, and God is upset with the people. And uh, so we just started off chapter 33, and this kind of interesting prescription that God has, they're to go to the land that's been promised, uh, but God is not going to, going to go with them. An angel will go before them, but God's not going with them because I think God's just still too upset with the whole situation. Uh, we pick back up at verse 7. And the interesting thing yeah. is, they told them they have to take off all of their ornaments. I guess that means jewelry. Um, I think it's also the any of the the jewelry, but the ornamentation of, um, I would guess also vestments and and holy things. So it's I think it's both, right? But they're so they're stripping themselves of the jewelry, but I think they're also stripping themselves of the ornaments they wore towards God. Because God is kind of taking a break. You mean, but what about the ark? Are they taking the ark? Um, has the ark... Yeah, because he was telling what to make the ark out of and put gold on it. So, they have the instructions for the ark. Mm -hmm. And the tablets. But did they build it yet? I guess would be the... Because remember, Moses is up on the mountain. Mm -hmm. um, 
And Moses is the one receiving most of that instruction, I believe. Yeah. yeah, because of Aaron, he's probably focused on that, and I'm building a golden calf. Right, right. So that's still all. That's still all instruction that that the Lord has spoken to Moses while he's up there with God. Um, but this seems somewhat immediate that they come down from the mountain, or Moses comes out from the mountain. This plague hits, and now they have to go. It's not a bad prescription necessarily. God's telling them go to the land that's been promised, this land of milk and honey. Um, but I'm not. I'm not going with you. So the ark is not. The ark would be his presence. Yeah, I don't think the ark's built yet. Is how I would read that. Um, Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them, at the entrance of their tents, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend, and... Good morning! Good morning, Kevin. Grab you an extra Bible here. Oh, there's one right there. Perfect. So we're in verse 33 of Exodus. Exodus 33. Oh, sorry, chapter 33, not verse. Yeah, picking up at uh, verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them at the entrance of their tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name of the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Um, So just pausing here a second before we go to the next chapter. Moses and, and God have 
another conversation here, and it's it's reminiscent in some ways of the one they had on the mountain. So, what transpires here between Moses and God? He asks him to go with them. Yeah. If they don't, he doesn't go, they won't make it. They won't make it, and and no one will believe that their God has sent them or is leading them, or that Moses is a is a sort of chief prophet of of this God. Um, it's it's again this example of God being reminded by Moses that these are God's people. Um, so there's this there's a lot of this back and forth um, between God and Moses really since they've been in Egypt um, about Moses' call for mercy or assistance and God heeding that call. Um, so when they needed food and water out in the wilderness, Moses had to go to God. We need this. God. Fine, you know. Here you go. Here's this. Here's that. Um, over and over again, and and up on the mountain. Um, so the the scene we ended with last week, Moses or God is enraged by the building of this golden calf, and Moses sort of has to talk God out of slaughtering the people. So now God shows mercy again, and and um, you know now it's well, I'm not going with you. My presence can't go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. And so this seems to last maybe. I don't know, a couple hours a day, and Moses goes back to back to God. Well, can you go with us, please? Because remember, you know, you have this special relationship with me and your people. And again, God sort of, okay, fine, fine. I will go. I will go with you, um, but you can't see me. And except Moses is going to get this special, special image of God. So, this is. I don't know if it's a change for God necessarily. I think it's a change in how we read God from, um, let's think about the garden story, right? God is very much with Adam and Eve, strolling in the garden, forming Adam from, from God's own hand. Um, it's a little less clear when God is speaking to the, the earlier um, to the Abraham, the Isaac, and the Joseph, but there seems to be a little bit more of God's presence. Um, so we have a we have a change here, in a sense. Now, who can see God? Who can see God's face? No one. No one. Right. So God has restricted that access to a certain level um, from where it previously was. Um, Moses is going to come the closest to seeing God now at this point, but only only kind of hidden in a rock and only seeing sort of a flash of God go by. So God has this physical presence. Extending way further into the, uh, into the Christian New Testament understanding, who gets to see God? There's two ways to answer this. They don't see God the Father. Who gets to see God the Father? Only Jesus. Jesus, right? That that's his testimony in the Gospels. I have I have seen the Father. I I am with the Father, you know. There's oneness with the Father, but also this kind of declaration that I have seen God. That's something that, that Jesus gets to declare. Who else gets to see God? Everybody who comes to Jesus. Right. Yep. So 
in in Christ, this is both maintained and changed in that still the 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 ability to visually see God the Father is restricted, except for Jesus, but also everyone then gets to see God in the person of Jesus. So it's opened back up again too. Um, it's you can you can interpret this a number of ways about how we read God in this moment. Um, but it's almost as if God has become a bit more reserved in the interactions that God will have with people as, as compared to how God previously was. And we've gotten this sort of story of this emotionally invested God who maybe is protecting himself a little bit. He's been in such close proximity with his people and God gets hurt in a sense by their by their sinfulness again and again. There's there's one more interesting thing of note here, and this sort of turn that down a little bit. This sort of also plays upon um, the other religions of the uh, ancient Near East, um, or really pretty much all of the all of the ancient world. Who gets to see God in most of the other ancient world religions? Priests. Priests get to see God. And be in the presence of God, who else? Well, the people see their God, though. They, 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 it's up here, it's a big thing, they worship. Them. Yes, yes. So this is strange. This, this is an outlier now. Everyone kind of gets to see God in these statues and images and all these, all these various things. You get to see this representation of God. The God of Israel is now going to be a little bit more hidden and shrouded in mystery than some of these other neighboring gods. Um, there's, there's no statue of, like there would be a statue of Ra. That's not, that's not how this is going to work, um, with, with God's relationship to humanity seemingly anymore. So it's, it's a change, but it's also distinct from other understandings of, of how gods would have been viewed. So it's, it's different. It's, it doesn't strike us as different because we're so used to it, but this would have been you can imagine the Israelites encountering um, these other these other nations, and you know, where's your God? Why can't we see your God? Uh, what was the declaration of of Aaron when he made the golden calf? Behold, here is your God, right? Who brought and stabbed knife in the back to God? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? But this is the this is the image. This is the represent. This is your God. Um, it would have made sense to them. You could see your gods, even if just in statuesque form. This god's going to be different and have a very different relationship. The only thing that you have is the word. Say more about that. Well, uh, God gives certain things and says certain things. And that's what you have. You have to believe the word. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to understand it, that this is a God that's moving more into... Um, He's more abstract. The heart yeah. and the mind yeah. instead of yeah. physical. Yeah. I think so. It All right. It seems like this is presumptive of Moses, though, to do this. He had such a relationship with God that it didn't, it didn't affect his relationship with God to stand up there and say again, you know, like, listen to me, please help us. Yeah, but so did some of the other founding fathers. I mean, we wrestled, and I won't 
I won't let you go until you bless me. Mm-hmm. Right? I guess so. And interestingly enough, what do what do they bring to God when they're making these requests or having these interactions? Nothing. Nothing. Right? So there is a system, there is a system already in place to address your gods, but you should, you know, bring them some hay or some or a lamb. That that does occur. But ultimately, this this relationship is what was the word you were you used there? Presumptive. Presumptive. It's impertinent. Like it's it's familial, it's close. Um and it is, but it's also something that we've, I think, thankfully maintained because that's the kind of release this God is invested in the people, his creation. And so they have this relationship that is close and presumptive. And I think we carry that on. Um, we come to God with requests. We come to God in, in forthrightness, I think, at our, at our best. And I, and I think the example of Scripture is that's kind of, that's okay. Um, that's what this God is into, so to speak. I mean, it's, our God is okay with that. Um, but yeah, Moses keeps coming back. <laughs> Moses keeps coming back. Well, I know that you said this, but, um, could you change your mind? I mean, what a request to make of a God. <laughs> your God. Could you, I know you just said this. Um, and in some ways, you know, we find within much more than, and I, and I do think it's always good to compare to ancient ideas of, of gods. We find much more of a uh, parent, parental relationship. Um, we talk about God the Father. God, I mean, Jesus talks about, you know, Abba, Father, and it's, and it's rooted in these prayers. Um, and it's the same way, and it can make you a little... It's not inappropriate, but it can make you pull out your hair a little when Sammy do this. Okay, do I have to? You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's part of that close relationship. They all have it. You know, they play their parents. Sure, sure. And, so and they we, can stay up later, et cetera, and so forth. <laughs> and we and we do that with those that are that are closest to us, mm-hmm. right? Because it's. Um, it's a little bit more acceptable when there's that closeness. Yeah, we're supposed to listen and do what we're told, um, but at the same time, we can we can have open conversation. And that's that's the sign of a or manipulation. Well, that's another <laughs> side of it. All right, let's pick up at thirty-four. Uh, would someone read from there? The Lord said to Moses, "Cut two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write upon the tablets the words." that were on the first ta- tables, which you broke. <clears throat> Be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, until no flocks or herds feed before the mountain. So Moses cut the two tablets of stone first by the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. And the Lord had commanded, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in the hands two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended into the cloud and stood with him there 
and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeps steadfast love for thousands forgiving inequity and transgression and sin. But who will, will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the father upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? Does this mean that they're still going to wander around for three or four more generations? Yeah, they, they've got some more of that and that there's a certain level of the sinful actions of one generation will impact the next. And Moses made haste to bow down, to bow his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in thy sight, O Lord, let the Lord, I pray thee, go in the midst of us, although it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us to our, thy inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been wrought in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with you. Wait a minute. A terrible thing I will do with you. What does that mean? This is awesome. Yeah. Um, I will perform marvels, marvels such as not been performed in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you whom you live shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do in, with you. Terrible not having the connotation of, of negative. Yeah. Okay, so then he goes on and says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Brazilites, the and the Jebusites. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether you go, lest it becomes a snare in the midst of you. Mm -hmm. That means don't marry outside the sect, I do. Among other things, yeah. But also just... So, I think going back to this this word choice of awesome or terrible, um, maybe terrible not meaning terrible for the Israelites, and maybe awesome not meaning awesome super cool. Like, it will inspire awe, and it will be terrible. Because you're not going in there to make friends. Yeah, they're going to fight. Right. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. What's an asherim? Sacred poles is what I have here. Where you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is, je is jealous and a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they play the harlot, after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and one invites you you eat of his sacrifice and you take of their daughters and your sons 
and their, their daughters play the harlot after their gods, and make your sons play the harlot after their gods. You shall make for yourself no molten gods. Aha, you're making up back on this. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I have commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abed. For in the month of Abed you came out of Egypt. All that opens the womb is mine, and all your male cattle, firstlings of cows and sheep, the firstlings of an ass, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you uh, will not redeem it, you shall break it, its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and now shall uh, appear before me empty. Uh, what does that mean? No one shall appear before me empty. You're going to bring oh, some none. kind of sacrifice. Yeah. Not no one uh, shall appear before me empty. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time, in harvest, you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of in in gathering at uh, the year's end. Three times in the year shall your males appear before God, for the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither shall any man desire the land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, either shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until the morning. The first of, of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil the kid in his mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words in accordance with these words. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel, and he has there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote upon the tablets the words of the covenant and the Ten Commandments. All right, let's let's pause there. Um, a couple of familiar things that we find here. So one, uh, the the reinstitution or the retelling of the festivals to keep. Um, this is stuff that's already come up for the people in Exodus. These festivals, um, the the firstborn. This is this is rehash, and again, driving home the Sabbath. Um, more in depth here about the other the other religions um, and what's acceptable and what's not for them. So if we, and I think this is a good chapter where we can pull in some some New Testament thinking and, and gain a better understanding of that. We'll, does anyone remember the the Council in Acts, um, the big sort of fight they're having, and uh, Paul who wants to convert the Gentiles versus the Christians that were more steadfastly Jewish in Jerusalem? What are what are some of those fights over? Circumcision. Circumcision's one, and that doesn't really come up here yet. Um, that uh, that's already been established. Um, Dietary stuff. 
dietary stuff and specific to the to the worship of other gods though and Paul oh, yeah. has to address this quite a bit the eating of meat sacrificed to idols right that it's it's okay because those idols aren't gods anyway so that's where Paul lands in one of his other letters yeah and um, but you can see here in in Exodus, this is a major, don't do this, right. right? So why were these things contentious? Well, it's pretty clear within, within Exodus and other parts of the Old Testament, like, you don't do that. Right. That's bad. Um, the idea of not making covenants in the land with these nations, why is God laying this out and adamant about this, do we think? So they're not tempted or contaminated. By the other beliefs. So what's the first temptation going to be? What What is establishing agreements with these other people that already live there? What does that do? Why is that tempting? So you won't stay there. You might not stay there, but why, is, why would it be tempting to the Israelites? So they can eat anything. Eh, they can eat anything. What? So God's sending them up for this awesome, terrible thing that is to come. What's the tent? Why would the Why would the Israelites maybe want to make covenant and avoid that? Well, it's, it's going to end up killing a bunch of Israelites. Yeah, you don't have to fight. So that, there's a temptation already there that God is sending them up to drive out and to really annihilate these other these other nations. There's going to be a temptation there to just show up and say, "Well, we'll just kind of share the land." Can we join your team? Yeah, can we? Can we just kind of make a make a deal here and share this land? I mean, it's it's tempting to not have to engage in bloody violent warfare. Sure. Um, so I think that's that's something that God is kind of cutting off at the pass here, <coughs> um, because God's understanding is what eventually, if you make if you're sharing the land and you make these covenants, then what's going to happen? You're going to start sharing. You're going to start sharing their gods, right? You're going to eat their food sacrifice to their idols. Um, your, your translation had things about harlot, mine has things about prostitution. Some of that is related to um, practices of temple and god worship, prostitution, um, that were prevalent in some cultures. Uh, you, your sons and daughters are going to get drawn into that. You're going to get drawn into that. Um, even in the New Testament, a lot of what Paul talks about is sort of these um, unnatural relationships. A lot of that was based around temple prostitution and the Roman side of things. Um, so you're going to get you're going to get drawn to that. You're going to lose your your laws that I've given you. Um, these people aren't keeping Sabbath. Eventually, you're going to start working on the Sabbath day. It's just going to be this slow creep into emerging of your culture with theirs, your God with theirs, and this God, my name is what? And I'm, my name is of jealousy and I'm jealous. Um, again, God is emotionally invested in this relationship that God has with these people um, and doesn't want to share. We can look at that with our own human judgment, but right. that's what God's laying out. I don't, I don't want to share. Right. right. So I'm bringing you up to do this. Um, he doesn't want to share until he sends Jesus. Well, 
Jesus expands, but Jesus, but worshiping of Jesus doesn't mean you can go worship other gods either then. So it's expanding the covenant and it's shining a light from the true God unto all nations, as we would say. But it's not just bringing, you're still not supposed to bring in Ra when you become Christian. So that part of it's it's still the one God. Um, yeah, so th this is going to be a um, this is going to be a challenge for them. God knows this, but this is part of the covenant God has with them. All right, can someone pick it up at twenty nine through the end of chapter thirty four? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to him to speak with the Lord. Okay, so, and, and just touching back to the verse prior to that, um, how long was Moses up on the mountain? 40 days and 40 nights. And what did he not do up there? Either. Who does this sound? Where, where do we find this uh, reflected again? The wilderness. The wilderness experience with Jesus, right? Although different that time. So Moses goes up for 40 days and 40 nights with no eating and drinking in the presence of God. Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness in the presence of yeah. temptation, Satan, the devil. And whether that comes at the end or that's a throughout thing, that sort of varies within the Gospels. But the whole scene is is meant to be this sort of dark image mirror of what Moses experiences. Um, mountains are good, holy places. It's always some of the mountains are good and holy. Um, people get married and have male-female interactions around wells. You find that again and again. So there's kind of these places that, that pop up. Water is good. You want to be around water. Um, where's the bad place in, in scripture? Where do you not want to be? The wilderness. The wilderness. Even though this mountain's in the wilderness, but mountains are good and holy. Wells and oases are good and holy. The wilderness is bad. Um, interestingly enough, we kind of, I, I think they would have been more aware of it than we are, but uh, if you remember early colonial America, where did the witches, the witches of Salem go to practice their witchcraft? The woods. They went out in the woods, right out in the wilderness. Bad things happen in the wilderness. So Moses gets the experience of up on the mountain with God, 40 days, 40 nights, no food or drink, no problem. Jesus gets the, the mirror image. He's going to be out in the wilderness beyond the river. And instead of presence of God, he gets to be with presence of evil. So it's that. They're meant, to, they're meant to match in that sense. Moses comes down. He looks different. How does he look different? 
And where do we find that again? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. And Moses is one of the participants there in the, in the cloud of the Lord that's descended upon them all. Jesus comes back. He's also shining. He's shining. His clothes are radiant white. He has this Moses experience. Transfigura transfiguration happens where? Mount, mountain. On a mountain. Right? So again, we, we see mountain. God's on the mountain. And this transfiguration experience Jesus has where he'll also become radiant and dazzling like Moses is here also happens up on the mountain. It doesn't stay with Jesus, though, which is an interesting change. So Moses comes back down to the people, and he's still so radiant from the experience. Once the cloud lifts on the mountain, Jesus presumably deradiates. <laughs> he becomes less shiny. His clothes, I guess, are dirty again. Um, because Jesus has to go where then? He's going to the cross, and very specifically, he comes off the mountain down into the valley. So you have that juxtaposition, mountain good and holy, but Jesus' mission is more the mission of the wilderness than it is of the mountain. Because he's God. He's God in the face of evil, whereas Moses is not God, but gets to experience God on the mountain and brings some of that down. And he also goes to those who... Uh, well, we say goes to hell, but not everybody says he goes to hell to the people in hell. Yeah, the, the heroine of hell story, yeah. In his sort of, the or, or death or Hades, however that would be understood for Jesus. So his kind of final mission pre-resurrection is to go all the way into death. And the extra when biblical he has, stories, when he, he preaches risen, there. Then he is lit up again. He looks different. He, he, he comes back in the spiritual body that's both resurrected body, but also resurrected body is different than just being raised from the dead like Lazarus was who comes back into this. It's, it's a different form. It's, it's materially the same and it's materially different. Um, so that's going to be a, yeah, so that's, yes. So that's going to be a little different. Um, if someone could read 35, just the first three verses. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things which the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy Sabbath of solemn rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your habitations on the Sabbath day. Okay, so again, the, the idea of Sabbath is going to be um, reinforced, and this is probably the 18th time that something has been reminded about the Sabbath. And as we've, we've talked about before, um, again, sometimes when we get into the, the Gospels and into our modern-day understanding, <coughs> Jesus has all these sort of moments around the Sabbath, what his disciples are doing, what's he's doing, and, you know, it can kind of go past us, like, why is this a big deal? This, this is a big deal. You don't in fact, and I, I love this example here, because you, you can almost hear the questions, right? Moses comes, no work on the Sabbath. What's the next question that people are going to ask? What are we going to do? Or how? Yeah, how, how much did, what do you mean no, nothing? 
what, what do you mean no work on the Sabbath and day rest? So I just can't tend my field, right? Or I just can't do this. This example of you can't even kindle a fire. What does that eliminate for you if you didn't already have one kindled? You anything. You're not cooking food. What else? You're not getting heat if it's a cold night. What else? Light. And you're not getting any light. That's how serious the Sabbath regulation is. Unless you have that fire already going, you're not cooking, you're not seeing in the dark, um, and you're not getting any warmth if you weren't already, if it's a cold night. So you can, you can, uh, no work on the Sabbath. All right, what does that really mean? This is the level that that means. You're not, if you don't have it, you're going without it for a day. You are off. You're not doing any work. Kindling a fire is um, a, f a form of you working. It's a form of you creating. Um, if you already have the fire going, that's fine. But otherwise, you're off. But if you don't let or do something, then you really got a problem with getting fired again. Well, you can kindle it the next day. Yeah, you, or you could go to your friends and borrow it the next day if they kept one kindled. Um, and they did have different... They had, they knew the flammability of certain oils and things like that, so they, they could get fires going without... And they certainly had dry vegetation, as long as they could get a spark. Um, but no, you're not, you're not doing it. In fact, there are... Like the super still observant um, orthodox... Quite a few of them will have everything really set to timers on the Sabbath, including ovens and including the lights in their house, because you can't flick the light switch. Why? Work. Work. That's kindling a fire. That's that's the you're you're making light for yourself even just by going like this. You're off. Yeah, and they used to have people come and do this for them the day before. Or that, yeah. Yeah, that was it. You could, as long, you could arrange it, but you're not going to do it. Requirement is Sabbath is Sabbath. I think we're going to skip over, maybe skim a little bit. So in the last week, we had about 10 chapters in a row that dealt with various ways of constructing altars and tabernacles and such. Ooh. And we're getting some of that again. So um, the next... The next bit goes into tabernacles, um, skilled labor, construction of the tabernacle, making of the Ark of the Covenant. And so previously Moses was up on the mountain getting all these instructions from God. Now presumably Moses is delivering these instructions to the people. Um, 37, making the covenant, making the table for the bread of presence, all this acacia wood, making the lampstand. Oh boy. Making the altar, making the altar, making the court of the tabernacle. Uh, 39, already to making the vestments again. Those instructions have to be delivered. And Okay, so what, let's, let's go to verse 40. You mean chapter 40? Sorry, chapter 40. I keep doing that today. You know, I kept on Sunday calling the... Uh, the master, the manager. I hope that wasn't too confusing in my sermon. I went back and listened to it. And I thought, oh no. I think in context, hopefully, it got through. The manager was not the master, and the master was not the manager. 
Um, actually, I'll pick it up here at verse 32 of 39, because this is, this is kind of the end of all these instructions. In this way, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. The Israelites had done everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and the coverings of fine leather, and the curtain of the screen, the Ark of the Covenant with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils, the bread of presence, the pure lampstand with the lamp set on it and all the utensils, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of the meeting. The finally worked vestments, the finally worked vestments for ministering in the holy place, and sacred vestments for the priest Aaron, and the vestments of his sons to serve as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. When Moses saw that they had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded, he blessed them. Someone pick up verse 17. Let's go first 15 verses of the next chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put it in the Ark of the Covenant, and you shall screen the Ark with this curtain. You shall bring to in the table and arrange its setting, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. You shall put the golden altar for incense before the Ark of the Covenant and set up the screen for the entrance of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting and place the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing of oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it shall become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar shall be most holy. You shall also anoint the basin with its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting, and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the sacred vestments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put tunics on them, and anoint them as you anointed their father, and they may serve me as priests, and their anointing shall admit them to, to a perpetual priesthood throughout all generations to come. All right, someone pick up at 16. Thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. And in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its base and set up its frames and put it on poles and raised it, raised up its pillars. Is he build, making a building? Well, it's mobile. 
It's a tent. This is just the supports. Yeah. Okay. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he took the testimony and put it in the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark for the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and spread and let the bread and set the bread in order on it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the Lord on the south side of the tabernacle. And he set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil, and the burnt sacrifice, the burnt fragrant incense upon it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offerings at the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meetings, and offered upon it the burnt offerings and the cereal offerings, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he set the uh, labor between the tents of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting, and when they appeared, approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tents of meeting, of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud abode upon him, upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all of their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would go onward, and if the cloud was not taken up, then they, they did not go onward until those days when shade was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Okay. That's the end of Exodus. So, interesting, the the choice to, to break here. Um, when Moses goes up on the mountain, what's the majority of his instruction that he gets from God? The Ten Commandments. Well, that's part of it. Uh, but also how to build the ark and all of that. Right. And so it ends similar, similarly. Um, but it's built now. It's built now. 
And so God is with them. God is with them. They move on with him. And they move on with him. And they, and they know this designation when God's presence in some way is less present when the, the cloud of the Lord, the presence of the Lord in the cloud is lifted. That's, that's their sign. So they're now following this instruction from God. Um, what happens, what's the final thing it says about Moses here? You can't go in. You can't go in. Why? We've seen the Lord's face. Just says because the cloud abode upon it, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Yeah, but Aaron and his sons go in. Right. So why can't Moses go in? He's argued with God. Mm, no, I don't think that's it. Moses can't go in. Oh, his work is done. <sighs> Not yet. Not yet. We'll, we'll, that that point comes later. We'll talk about that in a second. But you mentioned who can go in, right? And what is Moses? Ah, uh, not a priest. He's just the leader. He's the leader, and he's a prophet, but he's not a priest. So there's now been this um, classes, job, vocation sort of system that's taking place. Everything, to a certain extent, although his brother came with him to, to be the voice at times, but everything so far in Exodus has really been centered around Moses. This is a transition. Moses is still the leader. His, work's not done, his work is not done yet. He's still a prophet. He's still the leader. But he's not a priest. So this interaction with God, at least in this tabernacle setting, is not for him to do. It's it's almost similar to um, when they first started out and they're wondering, um, what does Moses have to give up first? Do you remember? After he talks to his father-in-law. He gives up some of his powers of making decisions for yep. the people. He's he so they go out and Moses is the he's the everything. And so he becomes the, the judge, the mayor, whatever you want to call him. Right. And there's thousands and thousands of people, and everyone starts bringing their problems to Moses. Uh, yes. Solve this, settle this, solve this, <coughs> settle this. And eventually he talks to his father in law and says, Well, you need you need judges and you need overseers or whatever you want to call it and they kind of group it out all right these 10 people belong to this overseer and these 10 overseers belong to this they built a hierarchy so that Moses isn't the one that has to because what did it say he'd go to like the judgment seat every day and he'd just sit there and hear cases non-stop 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 so first he has to relinquish some of that power now 
temporal into the divine, the priestly work isn't his job anymore. It wasn't really because they weren't doing the priestly work in the same way, but his being the only mediator between God and the people now is, is being shifted too. Now there's the priestly class that are going to take on that role. That's not for Moses anymore. Mary, you alluded to um, his work will come to an end and it doesn't show up in Exodus. This comes later. Um, where else do we see Moses have a similar thing happen later on? You remember? Anyone remember this? What is it that Moses can't do? He can't go into the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot's, it's, it doesn't say in Scripture, and a lot's been made of the reasons behind this, um, whether it was some sort of moment of anger when he struck the rock and got water, or whether it was some other time arguing with God or something like this. I, I don't necessarily read it as punishment. I think it's the final passing of the torch down into the community. I mean, this is, this is Moses, right? But Moses can't live forever. And Moses is not God. And some of those, and we see this building along the way, those things that have all come through Moses have to be handed off to the community. Um, first, sort of that power of being the, the civic leader gets delegated. The power of being the religious only religious mediator and leader gets delegated, and then eventually being the overall community leader. He can't go into the Holy Land with them. That wasn't his job. His job was to help lead them from Egypt and then to set all this in motion until they can get to that final, um, that final entrance into where God has promised they will be. But then in the New Testament, we get the reverse again then with Jesus. Say more. That, you know, then you could come directly to Jesus. You didn't have to go through the priests and, and everything. That You could come directly. Yeah, the system will. Well, we've, yeah, yes. You can, you can go directly to Jesus and you don't have to go to. It doesn't abolish the priestly class, but it, it does change the ability of everyone to be able to literally interface with God, right? People can see God again. They can, they can talk to God direct in that real time sense directly. And then we carry that on too, by saying these are ways that, um, people still get to interact directly with God. Yeah. So you're right. That does, that does kind of have that, that flip again, that mirror, um, about who can, who can interact with God and who can see God. So Exodus, um, just to conclude here, because it's 11 o'clock, Exodus, interestingly, um, is a Greek term. Um, when, so a little bit from the first, but especially after the second time that the, um, that the Israelites were exiled and scattered. They didn't all just go to Syria and they didn't all just go to Babylon. And even when they were freed from there, a number of them went sort of into the Mediterranean areas. And as we kind of remember from the reason the gospels are written in Greek is 
in the Mediterranean, the, the common language was Greek um, in most cultures. Even once the Romans took over, Greek was still a preferred written language as opposed to Latin, which was spoken. And, and not everyone, but a lot of people from various backgrounds knew Greek. So when the Israelites are then scattered into the Mediterranean and other areas, they start to rewrite their scriptures in Greek. Um, so they have the Hebrew Old Testament and there's the Greek Old Testament, and both are both are acceptable. Um, Exodus is is a term that is a Greek word. Um, hodos is road or way, um, and the X meaning to to go out or through. So it's it's the road out or the way out of Egypt, and again, why this story doesn't, it continues in another book, but why it doesn't end with them going to the promised land is this is the story about them leaving. And so in some ways, them making this tabernacle is their final, or, or one of the final ways that they have left Egypt. They're now, they're now a people that has a place to worship God. They're, they're, re they're getting ready. They're being made ready. So they've, they've kind of fully left Egypt. Um, and it's been a little while, although there hasn't been quite as much back and forth between Moses and the people as there was initially. Um, that early refrain that we kept hearing seems to be gone. Can't we just go back? Right? The people are kind of, when they're first out in the wilderness and they're hungry, they're kind of caught up on this idea of, why did you lead us out of Egypt, Moses? It's terrible here. Why don't we just turn around? We'll go back. You know, maybe Pharaoh will take us back. They're getting established as their as their own. There is no returning to Egypt for them. They've they've taken the way out, and uh, and they have to go to the Holy Land after that. Any final thoughts, questions on Exodus? Let's end with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right.